Well, here we are, the men podcast. It's been like a month since I put one of these up. I've been trying to do them every two weeks, but I have been guiding my brains out. I don't think I guided this many days in June uh, for a long time. Uh, I think this COVID-19 thing, like a lot of people, uh, I was frustrated about not being able to get out and about not being able to fish in Washington, not being able to guide, and uh, just over the last six weeks, uh, man, I have just been in a lot of days, so uh, sorry for the infrequency of podcasts. I did this YouTube live thing <clears throat> a couple days ago, uh, which is great. Thanks for all the people that checked it out, but I'm not sure I really like the YouTube live thing, uh, streaming like that live. Uh, there's challenges with it, and I just don't think the live thing, I don't edit these, but they just don't seem to uh, archive as well, because I want to make sure and, and have a subject, which I will today. So I don't want to waste too much of your time. We're already a minute into this thing. So today we're going to talk about planning a wade fishing trip, especially on small streams. I'm going to rant a bit. I'm going to talk about how I approach small streams, how I approach small streams if I'm going to fish with uh Beginner to intermediate anglers, you know, I would classify most fly anglers as in that beginner to intermediate range. You and really to get to that, like, hey, expert level, experienced, somebody who's a real shooter, uh, you got to be pretty good. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cater the podcast towards people who are on the front end of the learning curve there, and I really think that you need to peel off some time to find some of these smaller streams and get your feet wet and your line wet there. So that's going to be the majority of the podcast. Uh, prior to that, uh, first off, follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube, shop at Reds. That's why I do these things, because I do want to build our brand and business. So we appreciate all those that, that buy tackle from us. But I can unapologetically say I think we are the biggest and best fly shop in the entire country. If you call our shop, use our live chat, email us, you are going to get awesome help from a group of dudes that just wants to be super helpful, no pressure, great answers, no pressure to buy at all. Um, you know, you're stoked about fishing when you pick up that phone. We just need to help pair you up with the right stuff. Um, so we, we don't really need to, to, there's no sales pressure with us. And we have a huge inventory. So we make shopping easy, whether it's flies, rods, whatever. So, you know, you can get a good value at Reds. Uh, Anyway, I'll follow up on just a couple questions I didn't get to in the YouTube live uh, seminar uh, that I did last week. And one of those questions was, I think there was only one. It was just my favorite setup for, for bass fishing. Um, I'm fishing uh, a six-weight sage payload, eight foot, nine inches. It slings bugs tight to the salad all day, super accurate. I fish smallmouth too with that rod, and I will use it um, for trout streamers as well. So I like the six weight. Um, I can handle the bigger flies on it, but if you're throwing exclusively, you know, giant wind resistant, you know, largemouth flies, big poppers, giant weighted flies, the seven's probably a better match. I like the six because I do so much trout overlap. Um, anyway, that's my setup. I like a real big nasty line on that thing, and uh, man, it gets the job done. I uh, love that rod, super accurate, and not a bad price. For, for a lifetime rod, 550 bucks is pretty pretty good deal. Uh, next one down in that smallmouth range, a little less money is going to be that Sage Pulse, especially if you want kind of a trout or indicator rod overlap. That Sage Pulse is killer. So 
uh, and then below that, Reddington Predator, if 300 bucks is your mark, look for that six weight uh, or seven weight uh, Reddington Predator. Same rules apply regarding fly size. But uh, as far as bass fishing goes right now, I have not been out for bass uh, in the last uh, two weeks or so. But I would really tell you, like, we need to be thinking about going early and we need to think about going late. Um, so right now, that midday game is going to be pretty much dead all over the country. Unless we're talking about smallmouth and relatively cool rivers, uh, then the afternoons can be good. Mid-morning and afternoon uh, is a good time. But largemouth, you better get your ass out of bed really, really, really early. Because that bite from 5 a.m. to about 7 a.m. is going to be hot. And then again from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, and if you're taking teenagers with you, dude, I've got some. I know, I know teenagers. Evening time. Don't even try the morning thing unless you want a Tasmanian devil on your hands. Uh, so that's the bass game right now. Think late and 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 start exclusively with pop and end exclusively with poppers. Make that your plan A. Uh, moving on, I think we'll just jump into the small stream thing. So I've been doing a ton of small stream wading uh, through our Reds University of Fly Fishing. If you live in the Pacific Northwest and you want to get good at fly fishing, like really good. Look at our University of Fly Fishing. It's not just for beginners and hacks and noobs. It is designed for anybody. And it is especially valuable to people who are a little bit more advanced that really want to get good at some of the specialty stuff. Maybe they want to get better at trout spay fishing. Maybe it's Euro. Maybe it's just nymphing. Um, but the best way to get really good at fly fishing is to fish with really good anglers. And the fish-along format we have in that is... We're going to fish a little bit too. We're going to be on foot during these fish alongs instead of on the oars so we can demonstrate and show you exactly what you should do. And we'll fish it the way we would fish it, not the way we would guide it, which is going to be different. Our guiding generally tries to make things really easy for the guest. The fish alongs, we're fishing on foot and we're up against the same elements you would be with or without a boat. So the fish along format is super good, but look at the University of Fly Fishing thing. Basically, you subscribe to it anywhere from two to four years. You visit us a handful of times a year, pick out the different types of things you want to do, whether you want to fish in a personal watercraft like a watermaster, maybe you want to learn how to row a drift boat or row a drift boat better, uh, or you want to learn how to nymph fish better, or you want to learn just simply better fishing. I mean, like these fish along clinics I've been doing, I'm doing them the next two days and I'm booked up for these, but it's just maximum of three anglers. And man, I'm teaching all sorts of life hacks in these things. I'm teaching, and whether it's me or one of the other guides, you're going to learn different things from different instructors. So you could come do that same fish along four times. You're going to learn different stuff based on different temperatures, time of year, uh, different styles, different pieces of water, you're going to learn a ton. And uh, they're super affordable. You could pay cash and a la carte them. It's 130 to 150 bucks to join and uh, go wade fishing for a half a day. We hit the water for four hours and uh, we set them up so that you go through the, the fish along. We catch a couple of fish, but we're not too distracted simply by catching that we we, we come up short on just making sure that we're teaching you because there's a there's a difference there. Sometimes you, you you get held hostage to the idea we have to catch a fish, and we quit coaching you and we start telling you what to do. 
we need to be coaching and demonstrating. So anyway, I've been doing a ton of these small stream fisheries and I've watched anglers come a long ways in a short period of time. And it really makes a case for choosing small water because small water is easier to read, it's easier to understand, and it's easier for the do-it-yourself angler to go back and replicate. Um, if we take you out and we row you in a drift boat and we fish big attractor flies for 10 to 15 miles, uh, we're going to float by 15 to 20,000 fish, okay? And we're going to float by the best seams, the best shorelines, and we're going to use flies that are attractors and we're going to simply be successful because the guide knows exactly where to be, exactly when to be there. He's going to line that boat up and put you on seams, and we're probably going to catch a lot of fish. You don't have that luxury when you're out there by yourself, okay, on foot. You're going to need to be effective covering a lot less water. The techniques are going to be different. You're not going to have a rower, and you're not going to float by 15, 20,000 fish. So... Uh, everything's a little bit different. So I really like getting people off the big rivers, you know, these big Western streams and getting, uh, on smaller tributary streams this time of year. So the people can kind of go mano a mano with a trout and look at a piece of water. We can say, okay, there's a trout living right there. We need to make one good shot. How do we catch it? Right. And then there's all this kind of this prep work that goes into making that one very articulated shot or attempt into that hole we get the fish great if we don't well then we got to make some decisions on what we might try to get that fish that we believe to be in that that little piece of holding water that is much easier to identify on a small stream so lots of reasons the main thing is those trips are replicatable um, by you after you go out on one of these fish along adventures or just simply stick to small water but planning one of these trips is like what's crazy is i i've been doing these all week and i'll do them the next couple of days and there will be tons of guide boats and tons of traffic on the big river because you know it's fun man i mean it's big western style fishing it's big wind big trout big current it's exciting good adrenaline rush you know it's fun uh i do it all the time but i'll see tons of boats and tons of traffic and there will be a lot of people fishing out of their own boats fishing on foot and they're not going to catch a single fish and don't you for a second feel bad or be ashamed or walk in that fly shop with your head down if you are not catching fish tons of you are getting skunked i get it it's tough uh especially if you're fishing out of your own boat you know on a big windy western river with a lot of currents the boat is often out of position it's twisted sideways a little bit it's tweaked it's going faster than the fly it's tough to get anchored in the right spots and guess what you only you see a sweet piece of water Oftentimes, you only get one cast at that sweet piece of water. Wouldn't it be nice to cast at it 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 times uh, when you see a good piece of water like that? So I really, I, I want people to, that are currently, you know, pursuing guided trips or rowing boats or fishing with buddies, really consider fishing on foot a little bit more. Um, I think I see a disproportional amount of people trying to fish out of boats and copy guides. Uh, it should be waiting. So hopefully some of that makes sense. So when you're planning one of these uh, smaller stream trips, but let me back up. Something I kind of left out is I see a lot of the people fishing the big water in boats, and I am, like, not seeing anybody on the small streams, like zero people. And, and they're not even that hard to get to. And we're catching, yes, the trout are smaller. Small game hunting. 
small bowl. Of course, they're going to be smaller. We know that going into it. Uh, doesn't mean we're having any less fun. I have fished all over the world, and I still love sticking eight-inch trout on small streams. Take me to the mountains. Let me hike. Let me get my feet wet. Let me throw dry flies on a little, you know, two-weight, sub-seven-foot two-weight. Man, I'm in heaven. I could do that fishery for the rest of my life and be pretty damn happy. But I'm not seeing anybody on the small streams. And uh, this is the time of year when they start to fish. But I think I'm not seeing people. And the reason for this podcast is I want to give you kind of a blueprint for getting a trip put together maybe in an area that you're somewhat unfamiliar with. So I think one of the easiest ways is we, we probably need to just identify a watershed to begin with. And you can do that a couple of different ways. Most states have a pretty well-developed fish and wildlife website that lists a lot of the streams and the species because you're going to need to verify regulations to begin with. Pour, you could pour over some regulations. One of the best trout fisheries I've ever found. I was just thumbing through the regulations and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Catch and release. I'll start there. So maybe filter your regulations by catch and release. It doesn't have to be catch and release to be good. A lot of these places are totally unpressured. Uh, and in fact, there's less trout mortality there than there is on most catch and release streams because there is some mortality with catch and release. But if there's nobody there catching and keeping anyway, who cares? doesn't matter, but uh, you can filter by catch and release, look at Fishing Games websites, um, call local fly shops and just say, hey, I'm looking, you don't, I don't need any secret spots, including reds, unless you're fishing directly with us. We are fairly guarded about the streams that we fish because there are local anglers that we we want to respect the fact that that's their home fishery we encourage people to do a little bit of their own work and homework and scouting and it'll mean more when you find those fisheries so on regarding some of the little waters we are a little bit more guarded with our information but i'm going to help you kind of solve the puzzle and you can carve out your own spot so you can call us we'll 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 rattle off the names of some local streams for you um, but you're going to need to do a little bit of work yourself um, just the same way a lot of us, us anglers did and, uh, carve out your own fishing, fishing hole, uh, call local fly shops. That's one way to do it. Look at the game regulations. And then I would strongly encourage you. I like, I'm going to tell you, this is your homework. Down, get a base map account, go to redsflyshop.com slash base map. Okay. Or you can go to riverfront services, click on base map, download that app for your phone, make an account for your desktop. The two synchronize, okay? Get familiar with that. Stay up late. You've got to do some work, okay? The more work you do on this front end, the more enjoyable and productive your fishing trips are going to be on the back end. Now, if you've listened to other podcasts, you've probably heard me talk about Basemap. What you're going to do with Basemap is, let's just say you've got two or three streams that you're like, okay, I know there to be trout here because the Fish and Wildlife website has rules regarding fishing there. If Department of Fish and Wildlife has rules regarding trout fishing, chances are there's probably trout there. I've got two or three streams. In Basemap, there's ways to see public land. You can see roads. You can see streams. You can use satellite imagery to see what the vegetation is like. And what I like to do is I get on my desktop, and I've done this, I do this all the, there's probably not a day goes by I'm not on this program. Uh, I big game hunt a ton, like a maniac, okay? I bear hunt, elk hunt, deer hunt, mountain lion hunt, 
I hunt everything, okay? Fly fishing is the closest thing I can find to hunting and vice versa. So my season goes year round because I am a hunting fool, okay? But I start on base map and I do fishing the same way. I do my pre-game research and what I'll do on these small streams is I'll look for small streams and then I'll look for roads paralleling these small streams and then I will activate the private ownership layer on base map and the public ownership layer on base map and I will begin to look where these small streams cross public entities. We have 640 million acres of public land in this country. Use it, people. It's yours, it's mine, it's ours. So go ahead and use all that public land, all right? I activate the public ownership, I activate the private ownership. I begin to drop markers, okay, on spots where I can potentially access this stream. I've got markers, and I, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and drop all those markers using my desktop. It's a very intuitive process. If you've run a computer, you can do this. And I'll drop markers on likely spots to access this stream. I'll look for places. I'm a, I'm a pretty good walker. I'll look for places where I can access the stream where the creek bends away from the road. And I'll set up loops for myself where I can jump in at a certain uh, access point where I can jump off the road right away, right down the stream. I can wade fish upstream with my dry fly because that's all I do on these small streams for the most part throw my dry fly upstream and I can fish anywhere from a quarter mile on a, a small loop to a mile or two on a big loop. I've gone a couple of miles and I'll get back into kind of that back country where the road veers away from the stream and make no mistake, further you get from the road, the better that bite's going to get. Even though they have limited pressure, uh, the, those trout are just more abundant and more aggressive the further you get from the road, make no mistake about it. Uh, but I've also, the other day, I was leading a trip, and we caught fish. We were we were within sight of the Jeep. We could see the Jeep. We're catching trout. These guys were having a riot. But back to the pregame. So I'll, I'll pick out two or three streams, and then on those streams, I will drop about six markers for likely access points. Now, what's cool is when I drop those markers, they automatically sync to my smartphone app. Now, some of you are like, well, that's great, Joe. What about when you don't have coverage? Because a lot of these places are not going to have coverage. Yeah, I know. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to cache an offline map. It's easy to do. If you've run a smartphone, you've ever downloaded anything in your life, you can download a map for offline use in base map. And you don't have to worry about cell coverage. And it is a perfect GPS, just the same way it tells you how to go down and, and, and pick up a pizza the base map app can take you back to your markers. Very similar anyway. So you're going to have these markers which are now stored on your smartphone along with an off-grid map. Now we're going driving up into the country and I'm going to go check. Follow me here. This is the Joe Rotor small mountain stream formula for success. Okay, The Joe Rotor small mountain stream success formula has me drive to all markers before I fish. Because I don't know how many times I've parked at my first marker and been so excited that I stumble down the hill through thorns and blackberry bushes and I'm so excited and I jump in the stream and it maybe wasn't the best access point. 
the reason I drop six markers is because I can see six points on, along the road where I can easily access the river without having to one, hike through a lot of brush and bushes and blackberries and thorns and that kind of stuff because those are real issues, or two, hike down into an enormous gorge, okay? So I picked out a few points. I'm going to drive to the six points. Out of the six points, I'm probably going to find two or three that are really appealing to me to fish. So now I've got a location, right? So we checked fish and game regulations. We proved there to be trout in these streams. Maybe we called the local fly shop and we got a few hints. We didn't beg for information because I want I want you to have some skin in the game because when you find these spots, it's so much more satisfying. And guess what? you might find a lot better spots than people are willing to recommend you. So there's the nugget. So we've located the spot. We've marked six markers on our desktop. You know, we stole time from work or we stayed up late at night. We dropped all these markers. And I'm telling you, where I live, you could fish five streams in a day. So you start with two or three streams. You've got five to six markers a stream. You've got 10 to 18 markers. Here we go drive around, take notes. You can actually add photos to the markers. You can use Google Earth as well once you've established that you want to go fish these streams to to see is it a big box canyon? Is it flat? Is it a valley stream? Are there log jams? You can use Google Earth to zoom in and research these streams as well. The imagery on Google Earth is generally a little tiny bit better than Basemap, although Basemap does have a Google Earth layer um, that you can use to view the stream. But I'll look for boulders, whitewater, log jams, that kind of stuff, uh, other access roads, and I'll go check out my, you know, my five to six markers on each stream. And once I'm at the stream, then it's time to go fishing. Now, generally, my strategy is I jump in the stream at an access point. I'm going to wade fish upstream with a dry fly, and I'm going to use an upstream dry fly approach with my back cast coming back over the stream so that there is a better likelihood of an open canopy and allow me a back cast. But I do lots of roll casting. I do little bow and arrow casts. Get in one of our fish alongs if you want to learn how to do this stuff. But an upstream dry fly presentation with what I call a roll cast recovery uh, is my number one strategy. And uh, I bring trekking. Well, let me let me make let me make tackle kind of its own little segment. But roll cast recovery, upstream dry fly fishing, and I will fish. Be realistic with what you how much you bite off here. But I will upstream dry fly fish from one marker up to another spot where the creek bends back along the road, because many of these streams it's actually going to be a lot easier to walk and stay within the river than to just cross country through that riparian brush you're going to have dogwood and willow and aspen and thick alder and a lot of brush along these streams so sometimes it's not real convenient to walk through the woods back and forth to the stream but you'll fish from one access point where the road and the creek come together up around an oxbow or a beaver tail and then come back to the road but be realistic with what you bite off but you can look real time on your satellite imaging how far you have to go to get to the next access point, and then I'll just walk back down the road to my Jeep. Um, I have a Jeep, but you, most of these roads, you can, hell, you could drive a Crown Victoria on most of them. So don't don't be scared. Um, but be realistic with what you bite off. And do an upstream dry fly approach, um, casting back upstream, letting it drift back to you. Uh, if you fish downstream uh, back to 
Um, what I will do then is I will generally, I will just skate flies. I'll roll cast a 45 degree downstream and I'll just skate, skitter and drag my fly in the current and try to hover that fly above sticks and I'll kind of work the heavier structure and the little roots and stuff along the banks on a lot of these streams or skitter the fly off the face of a log jam. And that works very well. Small mountain stream trout actually like flies that are skittering and dragging upstream and slowing the drift down. Um, and it gives them a little bit more time to uh, tackle the prey. Okay. So go back and listen to this if you need to. But that should pretty well outline your plan for the small stream fishing. Okay. And don't expect your first outing to just kick ass. You're going to fail a little bit. You're going to struggle a little bit. You're going to miss, you know, this first stream you try might not yield, you know, 30 scrappy little cutthroat trout. It might be tough. Try it again. Go to the next stream. Eventually, you're going to develop a formula, and you're going to get good enough at researching this stuff that you're going to be able to. You're going to be able to hit every time. You wouldn't believe some of the places I'm catching fish on small streams. The size of a, a, a ditch in the mountains. I mean, there's brook trout, there's cutthroat, lots of little fish. You wouldn't believe some of these spots. So, uh, in fact, I'm going to take my sons out tonight. They are dying. I've been guiding my brains out, and. Uh, they're dying to go out tonight, so I want to take my sons out and do a little R&D. Uh, but you wouldn't believe some of the places you can catch fish, but you'll get very good at it. But be prepared to work a little bit. It's not gonna, You're not going to knock it out of the park every single time, but bring a good picnic, a couple of cold beers, and the trip is going to be awesome regardless. Okay. Um, as far as gear goes, hopefully that outlines a good plan for you. Go back, listen to it again if you need to, and then take a few notes just so that you have all the intel that you need to, because I think it, I think this information's great. The Joe Rotor, Small Mountain Stream, Recipe for Success. Just named right here on this very podcast. Uh, Gear-wise, now I'm going to start with more kind of general outdoor gear, because I, I want you to be prepared. Okay? Uh, you, regarding footwear, the best thing to do is have a tight fit, a tight setting, a tight fitting set of wading boots. Felt versus rubber. There's pros and cons to each. Felt's better midstream. Rubber is infinitely better out of stream, and you will spend a fair amount of ta- time walking out of stream. You can also do uh, rubber with cleats, which is a great idea. I wear Corker's boots. And they are outstanding for exactly this because I can swap the soles in and out based on what I think I'm going to need. If I'm going to be walking a long ways on trails or roads, maybe a forest service trail or something like that, I'll just wear straight rubber soles. But I can mix and match. And then I can just buy another set of soles if I want to try something else. But get a a tight-fitting set of boots. And a neoprene sock is the number one most comfortable way to wade fish these streams. Uh, Regarding other clothing... Uh, quick dry pants are great. Uh, I just got some of those Sims fast. I'm wearing them right now, and I bought two sets in the last 48 hours, the Sims fast action pants. Get them on the Reds website. They are flexible, stretchy. They're killer. They're my new summertime hiking pant, early season hunting pant, small mountain stream, wade fishing marathon pant. These things are awesome. It's the Sims fast action pant, and I'm not, I don't normally even endorse apparel, but I'm stoked on these damn pants, as you can probably tell. 
but I have a hard time finding a pant that I really like wearing uh, and trudging around when the bottom half of the pant is wet. So I encourage you to wear long pants. You're going to deal with thorns, brush, mosquitoes, that kind of stuff. Uh, wear long pants that are quick dry. Uh, you know, neoprene wading socks, wading boots, uh, tight fitting. Uh, I if you, if you like this kind of fishing... Go the first time with your regular set of wading boots that fit over your waders, but I think you should really consider buying a set of boots specifically for wet wading. They're going to last forever. Uh, if you really like this kind of fishing, I think it's worth it. Uh, if you're a dude and your wife's not using her wading boots and going on this trip, uh, poach those from her. Because I've seen guys do that where they're like, oh, the women's size being narrower and a little bit smaller, um, their foot actually goes in it sometimes with just a thin wool sock, but... Uh, if she's not coming along, uh, maybe you've got a teenage boy like I do, his feet are almost as big as mine. Um, and I'm so, so I'm closing in where, where I can poach his boots, uh, which I'm kind of stoked about. Uh, so regarding footwear, you can wear heavy closed-toed sandals. Uh, I had dudes wear, uh, their Nike sneakers the other day in the water. That all works fine. Um, I'm just going to tell you what's ideal. An ideal is a tight fitting set of wading boots with appropriate traction. Quick dry pants. Bring a backpack, chest pack, vest, whatever it is. Bring a bottle of water. Uh, that's all fine and great. That's pretty standard, but don't bring too much stuff. You want to be nimble uh, on foot. Uh, you don't have to bring the kitchen sink. Just be smart. Uh, wear long sleeve shirts. I like bug stopper hoodies from Sims because there will be some mosquitoes in these riparian areas, especially in the mountains. Throwing that hood on is a really nice way to keep the mosquitoes off the back of your neck. Bring a face covering, uh, not a COVID-19 thing, more of a, I want to keep the bugs off me, and I'm making it sound super scary for mosquitoes, but mosquitoes can take away from a really fun time, and pulling that buff up over your neck and face is just going to help you sleep a little bit better at night if you're camping, and you get all bit up, makes, takes a really fun camping trip, makes it a little less fun, so... Uh, that's my recommendation as far as just general clothing. I actually wear Sims, uh, solar flex sun gloves as well. And it's going to make me sound like a sissy, but I spend a lot of time in the woods and then, uh, that keeps the mosquitoes from biting the backs of my hands. And, uh, I can put DEET right on the back of my hands or a bug spray and I'm not putting on my skin. So, and the bugs have been, there's been like zero bugs this year, but I've seen it before certain years when, um, they're pretty bitey. Um, and they're a real thing. Uh, so backpack, vest, sling pack, hip pack. I don't care what kind of pack you have. It just needs to be a lightweight, dedicated fly fishing pack. Now, one thing I won't balk on, okay, I will tell you to get this, need this, is some kind of waiting staff. Trekking poles work okay, all right? So if you're a hiker and you have trekking poles, the trekking poles I use are called sissy sticks. I use them for all my backcountry hunting, hiking, mountaineering, CC sticks are rad. They're a super great company. I don't have a promo code for you. You can use promo code gritty. Uh, that's the one I used to check out and you get like 15% off or something, but, um, try the promo code gritty. Uh, it's just a guy I follow and he has promo code. So let's hook him up because that's where I got it. And I got 15% off mine, but if you need a set of trekking poles, I bring, if I'm really going to be hiking or you're unsteady in big slippery rocks, which most of us are, I can't tell you how important it is to have trekking poles. You are going to, this isn't a fitness thing. This isn't an old thing. This isn't a, you have bad balance thing or safety thing. You will move faster 
and you'll be more nimble and you'll move better when you have trekking poles. And if I'm really going to be hiking, I'll actually bring two because I'll break my rod down. If I'm going to move, I'm like, okay, time to hike back. I'm going to hike. I got to hike back three quarters of a mile downstream back to my Jeep. I'll break my rod down, put it in the sock, tie it on my the side of my backpack, and I'll use two trekking poles, and I'll move at three miles an hour down that stream because I've got two trekking poles to balance, and I'll do heavy river crossings in big current, and I'll move like you wouldn't believe. Just because I brought a 10-ounce trekking pole or an 8-ounce trekking pole, you know, they're carbon fiber and they're super lightweight. So trekking poles are awesome. If you've already got them in your garage, they're great. A true collapsible wading staff, if this is a wade fishing thing for you and you don't have trekking poles, you don't want to buy trekking poles, you want the best, get the Sims wading staff. It's retractable. Pop that thing out of its sheath, snap it together. You're using a wading pole to cross the river. If you have to hike 100 yards straight to get to the next hole on some of these small streams, that staff won't get you there faster. Trust me, I've watched it 100 times, 150 times, 200 times. When I take a group of people, the people who have waiting staffs move faster and they get to the hole first. Every time. I'm not, it doesn't matter if it's a 15-year-old kid or a 60-year-old dude. The 60-year-old dude with the waiting staff will move more efficiently in, in river. So, uh, get the waiting staff. I think that's really important. Um, there's different ways you can tether them off to yourself. Get the retractor for the Sims waiting staff or use a trekking pole and buy the retractor and just let it drag behind you. But... You can do that only because I'm offering a, a life hack um, for something that you already have, but we sell the, the waiting staff, so it, it really is the best for fishing specifics. Uh, moving into rods and reels, okay? Regarding uh, rods and reels, uh, the equivalent is this. If you were to try... You, every sport has the appropriate size of equipment, Right? If you were to try to play Major League Baseball with a softball bat, it would suck. The bat would be too long, too heavy. Let's just say a slow-pitch softball bat, you know, big 36-incher, you know, 30-some ounces. Wrong piece of equipment for, for trying to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. just doesn't work, right? Uh, yeah, maybe that's not the best analogy because now we're into materials, wooden bats versus metal, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So let's say this. Let's say you were going to go play an intense game of racquetball with that jerk from work that's super good at racquetball and he's inviting you. And instead of a nice little racquetball racket, you had to play with a giant tennis racket that's too big, too long, too awkward. Or better yet, you tried playing ping pong with a tennis racket, which is probably the ultimate analogy. Ping pong should be fast. It should be quick. It should be enjoyable. You should be able to put a ton of spin back on that ball and paint the corners. But you can't do that with a tennis racket, man. Now, you want to go hit 100-mile-an-hour serve over the net with the tennis racket? Yeah, that's exactly what it's for. That's kind of like your 9-foot, 5-weight fast-action rod, dude. But if you try to go play table tennis and you scale everything down, you need a tool designed to be scaled down, Okay. It's miserable trying to, to park flies in tight quarters with a 9-foot-5 weight. Just don't do it. Don't. Stop. You're punishing yourself. It's just an aberration to watch. I hate it. 
So what you want to do is you want to scale down and get the right tool for the job. You don't need to spend 900 bucks on a small stream rod unless you're madly in love with small stream fishing and you want the you know the finest casting rod that there is. I don't want to stop you. I believe in fine fly rods. <clears throat> I don't believe 900 bucks is a lot to pay for a fly rod. I might sound like an idiot. But if you love golf, you love music, you love any other sport, you love mountain biking, you know, if, if you told a mountain biker, oh my God, you paid $4,000 for your mountain bike, they'd be like, yeah, I love mountain biking, dude, no problem. 900 bucks doesn't seem like a lot to me, but uh, I'm crazy about, <laughs> I'm crazy about fly fishing. Um, so <clears throat> maybe you want to spend 200 bucks. Maybe 200 bucks still feels like a lot. It doesn't matter. You don't have to spend 900 bucks, but I'm not going to stop you. I, I think there's sound logic there. Anyhow, uh, regarding gear, invest in an ultralight rod. The rod that I am like using and endorsing right now because I think it's super fun. I used to use a Reddington butter stick uh, that was a seven foot three weight, and it, it was the old yellow one, and it was awesome. The new butter stick, I, I, it casts fine and stuff. I just can't get over that a color. It look, I feel like I'm looking at an Atari console every time I look at that thing. But fiberglass rods, there's a place for fiberglass rods and small stream fishing, and maybe it's because I've got two boys that. I feel like they're one notch above primates and they're hard on stuff, but glass tends to be more durable. Uh, and these Echo River glass rods, I, I started fishing. I took a, uh, a six foot nine inch three weight and a six foot nine inch two weight out the other day, and I fished them side by side in one of my fish along adventures so that the guests could compare the two. And uh, the guest bought the three weight more so because he already had a line that was appropriate for the the slightly heavier one and he thought ah i can just pull the reel and line off my other rod and i can double up when i'm on these tiny streams and i i can make better use out of my my gear so that was part of the decision making process uh but i'm i'm fishing the six foot nine inch two weight and i'm telling you for little tiny roll casts at 15 feet 20 feet man a short rod light rod is the only way to go you can hit the seams. You can cast full speed. You, it, it's kind of like hitting a, a ping pong ball full speed with a little racket. You can hit it full speed and put a little English on it with a small paddle. You could put a little English on it and hit it full speed with a, with a tiny rod. And you need those little rods in order to set the hook fast. False cast, false casting at 20 feet. We need to get that rod to bend. And those little Echo River Glass rods that just seem to flex better than anything at close range better than anything I've ever fished. So, but anything in the two, you know, even the triple lot, you know, if you want, you want to be really cool, you can get like a zero weight, but I like the two weights at seven and a half feet and smaller for, for creeks that are the size of say a sidewalk to the width of an alley. Um, I like those little tiny rods, assuming I'm catching fish that might be 14 inches on the big end. Uh, and that'd be a whopper for a lot of these streams that I fish. And it just goes up from there. I don't want to get too much into that. I'm encouraging you guys to get on the smallest streams possible just because I think it's an enriching experience. And uh, and it's great for new anglers. Uh, it, and if you want to call yourself a good angler, you got to have a resume that covers small stream fishing. Because I'm telling you, I can fish next to some of my guides that are great anglers on big water. I can fish next to, with anglers of mine that are guided guests. Some of the best, Some of the best anglers I know are my guided guests. These guys are like pros. I've trained them, man. I know them. And uh, I take them on a small stream, and they struggle. 
they're in the trees, they're missing casts, they're missing fish, they're just catching less fish. I might walk up a piece of water and I might catch six trout and they're lucky to catch one. And this isn't me being pompous or anything, it's just if you want to call yourself a good fisherman, you need to have a well-rounded resume. And if you think you're good at it, go toe-to-toe with some of the guys that fish the East Coast, catching brook trout on these tiny streams. And you go watch some videos of these guys throwing little bow and arrow casts and doing the littlest stuff to fool these trout. The way they drop a caddis, they set it on the bank, and then they walk it in to fool some of these little brook trout. Some of these little brook trout might be five, six years old, and they've got brains. And you go watch some of those guys, and that is the definition of a good angler. And likewise, they need to have a resume that involves western fly fishing too, but just because you can float down a stream and, and catch 10, 10 trout in 10 miles after you floated by 15,000 trout, make you much of an angler it just makes you catch 10 trout that's all that's all it says so get on those little streams and and hone some of those skills because i guarantee a lot of that will translate into fishing for trophy trout in spring creek scenarios in big western scenarios all types of fishing it will translate if you can get good at fishing a lot of these small streams and moving efficiently within the water and about the river so I like uh, six foot nine inch two weight Echo River Glass. That thing kicks ass. The six foot nine inch three weight is cool because you can put a four weight line on it or a three weight line that you may already have. Plug that in, and this becomes your putter for your short game. Okay, and then you can still have your eight and a half foot three weight, nine foot three weight, or whatever for big water uh, or four weight. But you can plug and play that reel and line right onto that little Echo River Glass rod. Okay, regarding leaders. Five foot leaders, man. I'm telling you, and 3x tippet. I take a seven and a half foot leader, uh, like just a real Power Flex Plus, and I cut the butt end of that. I cut at least a foot off the butt end, and then I'll cut about a foot off the front end. And I might cut all 18 inches off the butt section. I kind of measure it out with my fingers. But the, the shorter your leader, the more fly line it means you have out on a short cast. So if I'm casting 15 feet and I've got 9 feet of leader, I've only got 6 feet of fly line out. And that's not enough to really load the rod. So shorten up your leaders, 5 to 6 foot leaders. And if it's a ripply stream, I start with 3x. It pulls out of the trees, it casts good, I tangle less, I lose less flies. It's in general more efficient. I will work down to 5 and 6x if I get into a pool and I can see trout and I know there are trout there, but I can't fool the trout, I'll begin to downsize on my tippet at that point, but for throwing into ripples and keep and flipping it under bushes and stuff, keep me efficient, give me 3x, and let me see how smart the trout are before I start to make things less convenient uh, for myself. But that's a fun little setup. Five foot leader, easy to cast, little roll casts become easy, bow and arrow casts are easy with a little five foot leader, and that's where I'm going to start my setup, and I'll get longer and thinner after that. So pretty straightforward. Uh, Regarding flies, fly selection doesn't need to be complicated. Keep everything in that 16 to 14 range, 12 on the big end. I'm catching a lot of small trout. I I generally avoid, in general, I avoid foam-based flies. I really like a Bloom's parachute caddis on the small streams. Uh, We have a couple of ant patterns. I'm trying to remember the name, uh, like a, 
it's not the CFO, but there's another ant pattern uh, that's got a little tiny white wing on it that comes really small, and I'm sorry I can't remember it, but just go to the terrestrial section of our website or go to the Creek Fishing Flies uh, section of our online store, and you'll get some really good input. Um, a corn-fed caddis worked really well uh, on most of the streams I'm on. Uh, a little parachute purple haze is good, but just make sure it's buoyant. You can see it well. I like a flyagger floatant for these small flies. Dip it in there. Give it about a minute to really saturate and dry before you put it back in the water. Really let that flyagra, you know, gel set into every little individual of the fly. Uh, and then uh, I generally don't like dry shake for small streams. There's different types of floatants that can help it float, but I generally don't like the dry shake. If my fly gets really soggy. I'll bring it in, squeeze the water out of it, dry it out, put floating in it. If that's not doing the trick, then I'll just put a fresh fly on. But the dry shake works really good when you're when you're sight casting to feeding trout. And I just need my fly to float really good and be visible for a couple of drifts. And then I can reapply the fly. More of a one-shot, one-kill type scenario with the dry shake type products. Uh, but Flyagra works really well. Uh, Waiting snaps are great. And then uh, make sure... Uh, make sure you're just really comfortable. It may sound silly, but try all of your creek fishing clothing on in advance. When you're hiking and moving, you need everything to fit really good. And you need comfortable clothing because you're going to be hiking when wet part of the time. And you're really going to need to be agile and moving about uh, about the river. The leader and fly assortment thing is pretty easy. I keep a lanyard around my neck. I keep my nippers really handy. Uh, and I should do a video specifically on how I manage my essential tackle. A lot of you have been seeing in videos, I've been, I've got this orange paracord lanyard uh, with a spool of tippet, hemostats, and a Walton's thumb on it. And I just think that's like kind of the ultimate lanyard system for efficiency. But um, just make sure when you're doing this kind of fishing, like, hey, if you need to snip something off and change flies, everything's really quick. Uh to accent this efficiency rant, uh, I keep a couple of flies in my hat, and they dry there. I don't have to dig into my fly box. I just put a couple in my hat. Maybe you have a fly fishing vest with a fly patch. You can put a couple of flies on there. They'll dry, and you can you can also do it that way and keep a couple of flies uh, ready. So. Um, when you get done with your trip, use that base map app to take a few notes. It'll record the weather if you record markers uh, in the field. Uh, it'll record the weather. You can record photos of where you parked and the bite. But I'll tell you, like it may you may think, oh, I'll just remember. I'll tell you, those streams aren't going to change in two or three years. The access points aren't really going to look different in two or three years. Be thinking. This is why we do the Reds University of Fly Fishing, and I, I'm. I don't want to twist your arm to sign up for this, but if you live in the Northwest, you need to seriously look at this thing because it is a value. It's a great program. I believe in it. I wouldn't even mention or get behind it. We're a very, we're a very successful company. We're not, we're not going to put a label on a piece of garbage. This, we have a great guide service. We have great international travel. We already have great classes. We want to bring people along so they become proficient anglers and buy that next level of tackle, but you're not going to buy that next level of tackle unless we invest in getting you good at fishing. So in that University of Fly Fishing, uh, it's a really great program, but when we do that, 
the goal is like not next week to be great at fly fishing, not next month. It's to get a little bit better incrementally. In two to four years, you're like, maybe you're not a pro, but you're starting to look and act and feel like a pro and you're good at fishing. I absolutely laugh at these one week guide schools and I'm not going to, I think the guys who run them are great. I think they're doing a kick-ass week-long guide school and they're doing the best that they can for somebody in a week. But the idea that we're going to run a, you know, a week and we're really going to take somebody from maybe an intermediate level to pro-like is ludicrous. And I don't think those, those guide schools are advertising that. I think that the, the people's perception of what's going to happen in a week is probably skewed. I know because I know people have gone through them. You can go through them in a week and you can get this immersion course. But you need time to digest these things and you need time to fail because the failure is going to require or it's going to spur a lot of reflection on, you know, I probably should have parked and fished that really crappy spot for half the day when I should have went up and checked out other spots and I should have recognized more quickly that that stream wasn't for me. And I should have gotten to that other spot or that other stream earlier in the day. Fail forward. Fail and move forward. Fail and move forward. Fail and move forward. It's how innovation is created. And maybe you'll hit it just right the first time. But my guess is after you do two or three of these little excursions, you're going to get a lot better at them. Okay? And I think a week long doesn't allow you to fail. I think a week long, you're going during the best fishing of the year to these guide schools. You're going to the best spots. You're having somebody tell you, you know, where to cast, where to park, where to go, instead of going, you know what, I'm going to put my R&D in, I'm going to go park here, and I got skin in the game, and since I got skin in the game, I am determined to make this happen for myself, because I am a self-sufficient angler at that point. So, the Reds University of Fly Fishing is designed for you to visit us, go on your own, visit us, go on your own, visit us, go on your own, and at the end of your subscription or tuition program, you become a really independent angler. Now you're just picking up you know, more advanced tips from us, but you've got all the basic stuff kind of in the bag. So anyway, I think that wraps up the podcast uh, for today. I hope you found this information highly useful. Shop at Reds, call us, utilize our team, look at the Reds University of Fly Fishing, and let us teach you how to rowboat, spay cast, Euro nymph, fish small streams, and just come on any of these fish alongs and engage with that guide. It's like playing around at golf with a pro man, watching that pro swing, watching how he gets out of the rough, the bunker, sizes something up, makes decisions, is a way different experience than just getting a lesson back at the driving range. So that said, check out the university. I'll try to get these podcasts updated more frequently. And, uh, I'll pro- follow us on Instagram because I'll do a Q&A podcast every several podcasts, but I'll probably keep doing them on this app just because I like being able to pre-record them. So, And may do some on YouTube. We'll just have to see, but i got to get back to guiding and taking my kids fishing.